Uh, well, hi everyone. Uh, really good to be with you today. And for those online, good to be with you too. All right, um, we're going to Luke chapter 17. If you've got a Bible, I always find it's helpful that you open it and use it. I know the words will come up on the screen if you haven't, but it's always good to find your way around your Bible. So Luke 17, and we're going to be at verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And you'll not see There he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be Just like this, on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night... Two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. And he replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Well, my friends, that is the word of God. And so I... Just want to say by, by way of introduction, you, you've got two groups of hearers here. So right from the beginning, we're aware of that. Uh, first of all, there are the Pharisees. I'm not pointing at you directly. You know, I just say there were the Pharisees and, uh, and there were the disciples, two groups of people. And to the Pharisees, he tells them the kingdom of God is now. And to his disciples, he, he speaks of the coming of the kingdom. So both of them have questions about the kingdom of God. When is it coming? What does it look like? Now, if you were here for the first time, when we speak about the kingdom of God, we're talking about what the world is like with God as king. You know, his rule and the realm of his kingdom, what it is like. Now, Jesus begins with, first of all, he corrects a 
common misunderstanding amongst the Jewish people. And that, that was that the kingdom of God was going to be a territorial one, a geographical one, that a deliverer would come, and uh, that this deliverer would overthrow the Romans and remove their occupation. Israel would be vindicated. An earthly kingdom would be established. Essentially a kingdom of territory. So they were looking for signs for this to happen. That's their understanding of the kingdom coming. But Jesus tells them that the kingdom is God is both a present reality and yet the complete fulfillment of the kingdom is yet to come. Present reality yet to come. Often the You'll find teachers and preachers refer to this as the, the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And you may have heard this illustration numerous times. I'm, please, I'm sorry if you have, but it's so helpful and it does explain it. When the Allied troops established themselves on the beaches of Normandy in 1944, the Second World War, it was the beginning of the end of the Nazi regime. And yet victory in Europe didn't occur until almost a year later. However, from D-Day on, it was a certainty. They just knew it was going to happen. They were there, and they were moving forward. So the kingdom is now, and not yet. So hence, Jesus says, verse 21, the kingdom of God is among you. In other words, it's already here. Now, some versions actually say the kingdom of God is in you. But that's not a correct translation. It's the kingdom of God is among you. That is the better translation of it. If it's in you, I mean, he's talking to Pharisees who were opposing him. So it couldn't be in you. And the kingdom of God among you is referring, well, I believe, is referring to himself. This, come, this kingdom isn't, uh, isn't coming with outwardly grandiose uh, signs with great flourish of military might. No, the initial kingdom is, is small. He calls it a mustard seed. But boy, is there such power in that mustard seed. And it looks small, yet the power of the kingdom, well, it just transforms people's lives. And earlier on the chapter, you'll have read that there were 10 lepers were healed. You know, and the, and the, the, the lame were able to walk. And sins were forgiven, and lives were transformed. That the kingdom works inwardly, working out, not the other way around. And it's already here, and it's right in front of the Pharisees, and they cannot see it. It's happening in front of them, and they cannot see it. They can't get it. Then Jesus turns to his disciples, and he tells them about the day when everything to do with the kingdom of God will be finalized, will be consummated, complete. Verse 23 says, men will tell you, there it is, or here it is. And basically, listen, don't get caught up with all that prediction stuff. Don't do it. You just waste your time. History is littered with predictions of the second coming of Jesus. In 1831, a man called William Miller he began to preach that the end of the world, as we know it, would end with the second coming of Jesus in 1843. 
100,000 followers believed him, that they would be carried off to heaven. And when that date arrived, it never materialized. So Miller recalculated. Now, if you look at some of the illustrations, people do this. Whoops, got my maths wrong. So I'll start again. So then he predicted that it would be actually the end. The end would come in 1844. Now, one follower, he wrote, I waited all Tuesday. And dear Jesus did not come. I lay prostrate two days, sick with disappointment. And this, this is not just a historical thing. This still goes on. Don't do it. Don't waste your time. Don't get obsessed with this thing. Don't get sucked into this nonsense. Jesus said this. It's not for you to know the times or dates my father is set by his own authority. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 7. So just don't go there. However, what Jesus does say is you won't have to second guess this. You won't have to go from place to place. So there it is, or here it is. You won't have to do that. You won't have to follow a rumor. You won't have to do that. I tell you, it'll be unmistakable. I mean, it will just be so obvious. It'll be so public. You won't be able to miss it. No one will miss it. Now, but before all that happens, Jesus says here in verse 25, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You know, before he comes in victory and and glory and in judgment, he says, but first he must suffer. In the, in the Gospels, Jesus keeps telling his disciples that he, he is going to be, he's going to suffer and he's going to be rejected and he's going to be killed and he's going to be raised to life. And, and some people are under the mistaken view that Jesus' death was just something that was unfortunate. You know, that's a, it's just a, a tragedy, a terrible accident. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, and things just got out of hand. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Please understand that. Don't go down that line. Jesus said the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom. He came to save us from our sins. The Bible tells us that he died, not as a mistake, but he died for our sins. Occasionally, some people will say to me, Neil... I couldn't come to church. I'm just not good enough. <laughs> I thought, well, you want to come to our church? I mean, it's full of people who are not good enough. I mean, it's a, we're never going to come on our goodness, are we? We're never coming on our goodness. It's his goodness. It's all about him. He came for you. People, he came for you. And my question is this. Do you know that? Have you got it? Jesus suffered for you. On the cross, he took all your shame and all your guilt. Shame and guilt, that's a great burden to carry with you. Nobody took it all. You don't have to carry it. And, and, and people have this. I, I know, I talk to people, they, they feel such shame and guilt and all that. Jesus came to take that away. 
that you might have a new life, that you might have a free life in Christ, that you would have the peace of God. That's a wonderful thing, you know. Lots of people say to me, you know, when I became a Christian, I just had such peace, the peace of God broke into my life, new life, new hope. This is the gospel. You can't have it without a suffering Jesus. If you won't accept this Jesus, a suffering Jesus, you'll miss the eternal glory to come. It's crucial. This Jesus is a saving Jesus. Real Jesus, saving Jesus. And he's not assisting us. Please understand that. You know, giving us a helping hand in life. You know, we needed saving. We weren't drowning and needed a life jacket. No. We were stone cold dead in the bottom of the ocean. And he came, pulled us out, breathed his life into us, put us on our feet, gave us a new life. That's our Jesus. Amen? That's our Jesus, a saving Jesus. Do you know him like this? Do you know him like this? He's not only a savior, he's a friend. We actually sung that today. He's a friend. A friend listens. A friend draws near and and delights in your company. A friend shares their deepest heart. One of the accusations that's leveled against Jesus is that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, I've not done tax collecting, but I know the other part. I mean, I get that. It's just a great comfort to me. He's a friend of sinners. And if you know that to be you, it could be your friend. He never tires of you, my friends. Listen, listen, here, he never tires of you. Some days we think we can hardly face ourselves. But he wants you to know and experience the radiance of his love for you. He wants you to know that. I said that to a friend of mine the other day. I said, what I, I, we've been talking backwards and forwards. I am praying for you that you would experience the love of Christ. It changes everything. It changes everything. If Jesus was willing to suffer and go to the cross for you, you can bank on his love. It isn't going to go. He's never going to leave you or never forsake you. If you don't get this, by the way, you'll take the challenges of this chapter the wrong way and it'll all be about duty and service. No, 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 it's relationship. So the time to get into the kingdom is now, not later. And this is why. Jesus uses two examples from history, Noah and Lot. And it's to illustrate the same point, namely this, we need to be ready and we need to be certain. The coming day of Jesus is coming. So you can't miss the warning in this passage. Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, people were drinking, marrying, and then the flood came. It's the same in the days of Lot, eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building, His everyday life, you see, is illustrated here. It'll be just like this 
on the day the Son of Man returns. And then the flood came. And then Sodom was destroyed. The time to be in the kingdom is now. Trusting a Savior for eternity who suffered for you. So secondly, don't be distracted. See, there's nothing wrong with everyday life. However, everyday life without God, well, then it begins to center around me. And, I, and everyday life with God on the sidelines, we do the idle stuff. We make idols of things. We put our hope and our trust in things, everyday things. We, we, we can make idols of anything. So he says marriage. We can make an idol of marriage, but both wanting marriage and being married. We can idolize it. We can do the same with family life, everyday life, and yet wanting to control everything about our children so they do exactly as we, as we have idealized. If that's you, good for you. Okay, but it, you know, children I find don't work to that schedule. So we can, we can idolize. I spoke to someone the other day and uh, I was just a hor- awful story. I mean, he's doing everything for his daughter, everything. And she didn't want to know him. And she's happy to receive the things, but didn't want to know him. Do you know, idols, they'll break your heart because they can't carry your life. Your life's too significant, of too much worth to be handed over to things. Why, would you, why, why do that? Don't be distracted. It may be job, or it may be money, and it may be wealth. Look, don't be distracted. Having God at the sidelines of your life does not help. The return of Jesus is a serious business. And Jesus' return is a glorious truth, my friends. Because Jesus is coming for his own. That's what's so wonderful about it. So don't get distracted with everyday things. Glenda and Robert Lennon were four miles off the coast in Florida fishing. And um, she decides to go for a swim. Pops over the side into the water. And then too late she realizes that the current has carried her away from the boat and she can't get back. Her husband sees her distress, dives into the water... And then finds himself in the same predicament. And he's a championship swimmer. So they, they agree that she's to float with the tide. And he's going to swim to try and stay with the boat. As close, and, and, and he does this for hours. Absolutely hours. And, and just as he thinks he's going to... The boat's going to go. The tide turns. And he gets to the boat, and they, I think it's a long time, goes, you know, about a day or many, many hours, everybody looking for his wife. And they found her, and she was alive, and she was 20 miles away. But when she first slipped off the boat, she wasn't all that far away. Do you know what? You can drift in life, my friends. Don't let your distractions hey, make you drift. You sometimes will find you're further away than you thought you were. This is, a, this is a sobering passage here. So don't get distracted, Christians. 
to verse 31, on that, on that day, Jesus says, no one who is on the roof of the house with his goods inside should go down and get them. There is going to be a day. And when that day comes, all your money and all your wealth and all, you, all, all your stuff is not going to go with you. You, know? you don't bother going down back for it. We tend to shy away from passages like this because, uh, because of matters like the word judgment. But judgment is based on whether you know him. I mean, really know him. This is a crucial part of the passage. Remember Lot's wife. She was more interested in where she came from than where she was going. What are you more interested in? She's more interested in in where she was going for, and, and he said, don't look back, in the don't look back, and she did. Pillar of salt. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for Christ will preserve it. Literally, to follow Jesus is to follow him. Keep your eyes on him. You don't have to do the running of your life. Keep your eyes on him. Thirdly, Christians, don't lose the urgency of following him. So Matthew 16 says, uh, whoever wants to follow me must deny himself. Take up their cross. That's what it is to follow Jesus. All the gospel writers take up this theme. We come to Christ based on, on who he is and what he has done. A Christian's life is not their own. We belong to another his name is Jesus. And here's the thing. He promises to give us life and life to the full. I love Jesus, uh, uh, Richard's illustration here. He wants to give you a big portion. He wants to, he wants to give you the lot. He's no stingy person here. He wants, to give you, he wants to give you as much. His love for you is immeasurable. He's, he is gloriously wonderful. Indeed, he's God with us. So don't lose your urgency, because I don't want you to miss it. And don't lose your urgency in faith, and don't lose your urgency for the lost, because this passage should speak to you about the lost. And, and don't lose your urgency about knowing Christ. Too often, I think, we keep him at arm's length because of our own inadequacies and our failures. <laughs> That's what he came for, to change your life. He, just bring it to him. Don't hold back. Don't do that. Don't do this arm's length thing. Press in. Dane Ortland, he's a Christian writer, he says, his affection for his own never wanes, never sours, never cools. Half-hearted is not who he is. I mean, his love is not calculating or cautious. You know, the God of the Bible is relentless in his pursuit of loving you and you knowing it. Press in, my brothers and sisters. I think we settle for too little. I really do. Listening to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Oh, I, you would like this prayer for you, I tell you, look. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, through faith. And I pray that you being rooted 
and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is what? Is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the measure of Christ. That's a prayer, isn't it? Hey, how's your prayer life? That's a prayer. What a wonderful prayer. That's a man who knows what he's to pray for. Don't lose the urgency of knowing him. And lastly, this Jesus will come again. So as we round up here quickly, verses 34 and 35, two will be in one bed and one, two will be in one bed, one taken, the other left. Two grinding grain, one taken, the other left. You know, some people have used this as a proof text for, you know, the Left Behind series, i.e. Tim LaHaye, and wondering if the rapture has come. Listen. You won't, don't, just don't go there, all right? Listen, don't go there. This isn't about that. Don't believe all that stuff. When Jesus returns, you'll know it. There won't be any wondering, has he or hasn't he? You will know it. It'll be absolutely inescapable. There'll be no second guessing. No, what's going on here is a separation, There'll be a separation, and outwardly, you know, people look very much the same. But inwardly, those who follow Christ will be with him, and he will know them, and they will know him. There's a separation. And for, for Christians, that's a glorious statement that he's coming for them, because he knows them. Nearly two years ago, um, it was just as COVID had started, my my brother was very ill, and he went, to, went into hospital. And um, my brother was a Christian, but he'd lost his way for many, many years. Many years. And in the hospital, which we couldn't get in and see him, he was diagnosed with liver cancer. And unfortunately, it was too late for treatment. And he and his partner decided that he would come home for palliative care. And we were texting each other and in conversation with each other. It was a very difficult time because you couldn't see anybody. Um, and we were in regular contact. And I know some of you prayed here in the church. And he was really grateful and very, very thankful. And we watched, he watched an online meeting one morning with his partner. And um, I watched it too from where I was and... I gave him a call, and I, I talked with him, and I said to him, Colin, um, I said, you're going home. You're going to your real home. You're going home to be with the Lord, and you're going to be with him, and you're going to know the extravagance of his love for you as you've never, ever, ever known it in your life before. You're going to be with him. And in spite, I said, of the mess we get ourselves into this life, God is faithful. And he will see you into his presence. And he's on the other end of the phone. And he says to me, 
Neil, I know. I know. Uh, we only saw her a couple of times after that. And we prayed by his bedside not long before he died. And he was in such peace. He was in such peace. And, and with his faint humor too. It was really a precious moment. And the room was filled with the tangible peace of God. And his partner and her daughter still recall that moment that they had never experienced anything like it in their lives. Now, he went to be with the Lord. But there is a day that will come when Jesus will return. I don't know when that is, but it will be a period of joy or despair. One is saved, the other is lost. There's too much at stake, my friends, for the lost, for us not to have concern for them, not to have a heart for them, not to care for them. There's too much at stake. The kingdom has already come for those who have put their trust in him. If you want to be in this kingdom, you have to acknowledge the king. Amen.